Hi, I just want to say thank you to anyone who liked, posted, commented, or gave feedback or listened to the first episode of On The Way last week. It was so great getting to hear everybody's feedback and like what everyone thought. And it was nice hearing how many of you guys liked it, which is great because I liked it too. And who doesn't love a little bit of validation? Uh, <laughs> it reminded me a bit of when I would write plays and how my favorite part of writing a play isn't the actual writing of the words, but my favorite part is getting it to the actors and then having the actors give it to the audience and seeing how everyone's own interpretations and lives and thoughts, how they all feed into this thing that I thought up and how when it's in the presence of more than one person, it becomes something real. Like it becomes something tangible and it becomes something that like, that matters. And yeah, that's, it just felt a lot like that. And I, it, it's wonderful. It's like magic. And I just really wanted to thank you for helping me create that uh so episode two of on the way is coming right up and remember this is a wgc production lb elm is the founder and ceo of the culturist union born in pontiac michigan raised in the army and groomed by the united states united states air force and intelligence technology Elby has spent the majority of her life traveling and learning unique and interesting things about herself and the world around her. Elby is a SCAD and Howard University alumna with a degree in theater arts administration and management. She has developed a keen eye for equitable community organizing and development and a deep passion for the arts. With over 15 years of leadership experience, Elby is responsible for the culture, growth, profitability, and sustainability of the Culturist Union. Lover of warm weather, oak trees covered in Spanish moss, cobblestones, and vintage cafes, Elby is rooted in Savannah, Georgia with her son Langston and their snake Remy. Welcome, Elby. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. I hope everything's going well. How are you doing today? I am good. You know, a funny story happened. Our snake got out last night mm-hmm. out oh. of its cage. <laughs> We spent like four hours trying to find her and she was just in a corner under some clothes. But yeah, it was crazy. So yeah. <laughs> it sounds Snake crazy. life is not always the best life. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just funny. I hope Remy is secure and restful today. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Let me just start off with, uh, with a question. So where are you from? Where are your boots? So that's, that's a really tough question. I know that doesn't sound like a tough question, but it's a tough question for me because I was born in Pontiac, Michigan, and I lived there until I was six years old. And then my mother married my stepfather who later adopted me, but I've lived all over. And so I don't think I've lived anywhere longer than maybe three years So I would probably say D.C. is my roots because I've lived there twice. Mm. (laughs) Once for college at Howard and the other time just... In the military, I was stationed at Fort Meade. Ah. Yeah. How do you think that affects your outlook on life and community since TCU is focused a bit on community? Um, I would say that it, it gives me an advantage because I've seen multiple ways that communities are formed, multiple ways that communities can um, can be prosperous. And I've seen ways that we as people can, you know, tear down communities or not build communities. And so 
I, I think that it gives me advantage because I've been able to see it in so many different forms. Mm. Mm-hmm. But now you are settled in Georgia, in Savannah. Uh-huh. Is this is this a place that you want to be for more than three years? Is this going to be? <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I don't think it's possible for me to live somewhere more than three years. Like. I think after about a year, like I'm coming up on a year here and I'm getting the itch, like it's time mm. to go. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, I don't know, it's a thing, but I do feel like um, I'm going to stay here until I accomplish what I want to accomplish. And what is that? I want to create a brick and mortar gathering space here in Savannah. Like I want to have you know how in DC they have busboys and poets or in, um, you know, other places they have like hubs where you can go to, if you're a person of color, if you're a minority, if you're black, you have these like cafes or these, you know, restaurants that you can go to and you feel community and you feel like home and it feels good to you, you know, and there's events and it's centered around community. Well, we don't have that in Savannah. And so I want to create that and then I want to, you know, get it on its feet and then I can figure out what my next, my next conquest is. <laughs> so is the culturist union, is that your, your way of creating that community that you spoke of in Savannah? Absolutely. So I had to, I had to learn how to pivot and adjust, you know, um, it was really hard to get access to capital, um, especially as a black woman, it's definitely, it's definitely difficult to, you know, access those monies from banks or from the community or from, you know, the city or whatever. And so I kind of pivoted and started doing partnerships with people who already had brick and mortars and, you know, going into those businesses and hosting events and putting on forums and workshops and working with museums and all types of things. And so that has afforded me the opportunity to network and build the community that I want to create. So now it's time to give us a home. Okay, just for our listeners, just so they can get a better understanding of what the culture of what the culturist union is, can you explain to can you explain to us what the culturist union Absolutely. is? Absolutely. Yeah. So the culturist union is, I like to call it a cultural hub, and we center all of our work on the social and economic empowerment of black creators, entrepreneurs, and business professionals. So basically what that means is that we come in and we host forums, workshops, we curate events, we do vendors markets, all to amplify the black voice. So for example, a few of the events that we've done, we did a a black women's yoga retreat on January at the first of the year. We've done um, professional headshots in a networking event where you could come in and have drinks and get your headshot done and, you know, mingle. We've hosted, you know, Martin and Will Smith trivia nights. <laughs> and recently we've we've done like a pop-up series with a local co-working space where we taught anything from like how to budget to like how to calm down, how to breathe, like Anything that you can possibly think of, we if if it if it empowers the black voice, we're probably gonna 
host an event centered around that. I actually want to talk about one of your events because it was really intriguing when I saw it on you guys' Instagram. So on April 23rd, 2020, the Cultures Union and the Coastal Georgia Minority Chamber hosted a virtual bipartisan political forum, which is where local leaders and state leaders from Georgia came to sort of talk about the issues that were affecting the communities that the Cultures Union is for. So I just want to ask you, how did you come about creating this and what type of role in political life do you want the Cultures Union to play? So I don't believe that you can have social and economic empowerment without dabbing in politics in some capacity, because that's where policy is formed. That's where legislation is formed. And so it would be at a disadvantage for us not to get involved in local politics and not to encourage our community to get involved in local politics. But what I was noticing for myself is that I wanted to get involved in local politics, but no one taught me how. You know, we go to the polls to vote for the president, but no one tells us about like the process. And I think that's a form of voter suppression. And, and I wanted to kind of give people an opportunity to hear from their local politicians and also be informed on how to actually use their power, use their power in voting and, and you know, be a part of the process. And I got to partner with the Coastal Georgia Minority Chamber. The executive director of the chamber is a mentor of mine. And so I told her, I said, I think we should do this forum. I think we should, you know, do it. And I don't want it to be a debate. I really just want it to be a, a central location where people can get the information that they need to get. And she said, let's do it. And so we did. And we did, I want to say four or five of them over the course of a month. This was the, the event that I spoke of specifically was a virtual event, which of course was brought on by COVID-19 as a, a result. So could you also tell me about how it has been transitioning from a brick and mortar entity to a virtual entity. Yes. <laughs> oh, you're eager. I see. So, yeah, <laughs> I will say, okay, so I know a lot of people are like, oh, COVID really messed my business up. COVID really messed my business up. I feel like COVID was an absolute blessing for TCU. And here's why. Money-wise, we were, we were draining because we were hosting these events, but we... We didn't want to charge an over, you know, an overzealous price. And so the amount of money that we were charging versus the amount of money it takes to put on an event was negative. And we were we were having conversations about like what are we actually going to do next? We were looking at a brick and mortar space to open up our own co-working space and we were in talks with the city and then um but I was, you know how you have that that gut feeling like this is mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. a good idea. But you also have pressure. And I don't know if it's internal pressure or external pressure where you feel like you have to make a move or you have to do something or, you know, and so I was feeling like I had to get this spot or I had to do all of these things. And I remember maybe two or three weeks before COVID, I said, I really just need the world to stop for a couple of weeks so I can get my life back together. And it did. I was so, so grateful because I was able to host all of the events that I've been wanting to host without the expense of having, 
you know, I just sit at my computer, I do some marketing and, you know, voila, there's an event and I don't have to worry about hors d'oeuvres and getting a DJ or like renting a space and, oh my God, how many ticket sales do we have and who's going to show up? You know, like I don't have to worry about that. And so that was great. And it was also, I've been able to reach more. Our community has grown. I think we're at like 42% growth since COVID. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Because of the power of the internet, you know, people share it, people, whatever you don't have, they don't have to leave the comfort of their homes. They can pull it up on their phone. So yes, I mean, eventually, like I said, eventually I do want to create a brick and mortar space for us, a cafe space for us. But in the meantime, I'm cool with this. And since TCU is so focused around community, have you noticed any differences in how the community functions and operates between being in person and then being online? Absolutely. So um, I'll, I'll say this. We just hosted an event on Juneteenth and it was called the Black Millennial Roundtable. And I had mm. all of these professional millennials on and we talked about pretty much anything blackity, black, black, black. Like we talked about black <laughs> economics. We talked about Black families, we talked about Black LBGTQ+, we talked about, you know, Black politics, civil rights, everything. And we had over 200 comments where people were really, really using their voice and Mm -hmm. really, like, sharing their opinion. Typically, when we have events, we get a lot of niceties Mm -hmm. and we get a lot of, like, oh, this is great, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't go further than that. And I, I kind of feel like when you, when you do these events, you know, it'll be nice to do these events in person. But when you do these events on the Internet, you get people's authentic selves, whether that's bad or good. That's their authentic voice. And I, I appreciate that. Hmm. Ooh. And a way to pivot. Since you brought up how people are the authentic selves online, I'm going to pivot to some of the things that you said on Instagram that when I was scrolling through, I was like, ooh, I want to ask you about that. Okay. So you said on Instagram that your daily mantra is that, quote, I can do hard things, end quote. So what does this mean to you? And then what methods do you use to make this mantra your reality? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's my mantra because... I had a lot in order for me to, to create the TCU and to actually go forward with TCU, I had to overcome a lot of self deprivation, a lot of self doubt, a lot of fear, a lot of, you know, insecurities because TCU wasn't my first business venture, but it's the first one that I actually launched and got off the ground. Mm-hmm. And for me, I had to tell myself that it's not always going to be rainbows and butterflies and life is not always going to be rainbows and butterflies, but you are capable. And as long as you are capable, you can, you can do it. And so I have to tell myself every day because it's hard having a conversation with a stranger. It's hard, you know, talking to an investor about, you know, about getting money. It's, hard to spend all of your days 
you know, making these social media posts and then maybe getting one or two likes. Like those oh, are believe me, I know. <laughs> yeah. Those are those are tough things to to battle with. And then couple that with you have your everyday life, whatever that life looks like. You know, I'm a mom, so I have to also give my son attention when at times I would rather be working or I would rather be spending time with my son, but I have to work, you know, mm-hmm. and you have bills to pay and you have, you know, like mm-hmm. life doesn't stop. And so all of those things can be hard. And I have to remind myself that you are capable and you can do it. And so I think what I typically do, I have a journal. So every morning, not every morning, I'm lying. Um, (laughs) Most mornings, I try my best to do most mornings, but you know, it teeters, it falls off. You know, I might take a week or two off, um, maybe even a month or two off, but I always hop back on. So I try to journal my thoughts of gratitude in the morning. Before I get out of bed, I try to take some deep breaths and recenter myself. And I try to visualize my day, Mm -hmm. Um, what that day is going to look like, how I'm going to accomplish my goals, what do I need to accomplish. I try to breathe that in. Um, When I'm stressed, I try to find a space throughout the day like a quiet space, close my eyes, center my breath and like, just take a couple of deep breaths. Um, And I just remind myself that like, you can do this. You have, you know, the power of your ancestors. You have, you know, strength that you probably don't know that you have, but you have it and you are capable. So I think, I think that's pretty much what I do. And you know, and sometimes I just have a good cry. Mm. (laughs) because it's so cleansing to get that thing out sometimes Mm. (laughs) you've also been very open about how being a black woman business owner can be challenging so tell our listeners what you've discovered with these challenges and how you've handled them yeah so I've discovered that everybody is not cheering for you but that's okay I've discovered that, you know, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to do things sometime. No, not sometimes, all the time. (laughs) You're going to have to work twice as hard and you're going to have to do twice as much. Mm. And and, and, in that it's an unfortunate reality, but it is the reality. And people will not take you seriously sometimes or people will question your you know your expertise in that subject people will question if you're qualified or if you're qualified to be the leader and you're going to have to constantly prove yourself like I feel as leader of TCU when I'm out in the community when I'm talking to community leaders that I have to constantly prove myself like I constantly flex my resume like all the time because I have to lead with my resume because if not, then, I, then I'm just this black woman yapping her gums, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but on the flip side of that, you also have people who are encouraging you and who are lifting you up and you have to find your community. You have to find your tribe. You have to, you have to, even if it's just one or two people, when you find them, you hold on to them and, and you lean on them. 
And I think that's what I've discovered too. I also discovered that as a black woman, we also have advantages. We, the statistics prove that we are building businesses far faster. They're not telling you that we're doing it with less capital, that most of them aren't progressing, but you have, you have the knowledge that there are other women like you who are doing what you're doing. And so you can always find a community of supporters anywhere. And with the recent protests that have happened with Black Lives Matter and racism in the United States, have you found that your business has seen more business as a result or how has that affected you? Yeah, I have. And and so I have mixed feelings about it. You know, on one hand, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful that people are starting to recognize the work that the hard work that me and my team have um, been doing for the past year and a half. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it feels good to finally be recognized, to finally to finally have your platform amplified, your platform giving the light that it deserves because we we deserve it. But on the other hand, it does also feel a little advantageous for these people to hop on the black bandwagon. And so I have to wrestle with that a little bit because I think that um I think I would do myself a disservice if I if I came at it bitterly. Mm-hmm. So I have to, I have to remain grateful and I have to say, well, then it doesn't really matter when they came as long as they came. Mm-hmm. And if they come, then how do we make them stay and how do we keep their engagement and how, and how do we keep their focus on amplifying black voices? So that's my job right now. And how are you doing that? By constantly creating these events, these discussions, these forums, these virtual events that really, really tell our story. You know, I talked about a little bit before, but that Juneteenth discussion was right on time and people are still talking about it and sharing it. And it's it's great because you really got to hear nobody on the, everybody on the panel was Black. Everybody on the panel was a millennial. We had people from, we had a state representative all, you know, to a single mom on there. We've had, you know, we have people in diversity and inclusion. We have people who flipped houses. We have people who actually really are experts in their, in their professions speak on issues and not, not everybody agreed because we're not a monolithic group, but Mm -hmm. it was, it was great. And so to, to have those discussions and to do these events, I think is important. I think another thing that is important is for us to take up the political mantle in some sort of capacity, whether that is advocating for your city budget to, to increase their allocated dollars to black businesses. I don't want to say minority because, you know, I think that sometimes we get shoved out when you use ambiguous words. So I want to mm-hmm. say, I think that we should, everybody in any state or any state, any city should advocate for their local government to divert dollars to black businesses. I think that we should ask where are our community centers, where are our policies that help us, you know, talking about, you know, having more community policing versus, you know, the 
police policies that we have currently in place. So, you know, I think that there's more work to be done, but I think, excuse me, constant engagement. I read a book a few months ago. I can't even think of the book's name right now, but one of the things that he said in the book, God, I can't remember the author's name. I'm messing up, but, (laughs) but in the book, what, what stood out was that he said, companies don't have a money problem companies have a problem like people don't know that you're there Mm -hmm. and so my responsibility and my job for TCU is to market TCU like Mm. that's it I have to market I have to shout from the roof I have to let you know that we're there and we're doing good work and so that's that's my responsibility and role right now and what marketing techniques do you use? So, you know, I'm I'm no marketing guru. I really do wish that um, sometimes I wish I would have got a degree in marketing because I think it would have helped me a lot better. <laughs> but, you know, social media is king right now. I also do a lot of like email marketing and I'm I'm delving into text message marketing. I love grassroots marketing. There's nothing there's nothing like the good old flyer at a Starbucks cafe, <laughs> you know, it is because you don't know how many people you're going to reach. Um, I like tongue in cheek things. So we have these little cards that just have our logo on it. And then on the back, we have a QRC code. So you don't know what it is. We don't tell you any information. You just have to QRC code it and see our website and see what pops up. So, you know, and then good old conversation, you know, calling up people. Did you know we had an event? I love tagging people. I love tagging people because you're going to see that we have an event and I'm going to ask you to share. And and that's pretty much it, you know? Now, you're the founder, you're the CEO, you do the marketing, you're constantly creating. Do you ever experience burnout? And if so, how do you deal with it? And if not, how do you avoid it? I absolutely experience burnout all the time. But I'll have a team. So I do have a team. I have a team of people who help me. I have my co-founder, Carmen, and then I have a woman named Erin who does our web development and sometimes does our marketing. But Carmen doesn't live here and she's more part-time. And then we have Erin who's, you know, not a part of the company. She just helps out. So what I typically do is I, I try to delegate as much as I can to them depending on their work, you know, their own personal lives and work schedule. And then I, I, I ask for help. I really do. I ask for help all the time. Mm. Like, Hey girl, I know you're doing this. Can you look over this and, you know, give me some feedback. And then when they give me feedback, I go, can you just, can you change that for me? The way that you see it? Boom. And now, and now I have a little break. What I've had to learn for myself with TCU is that it's okay to take breaks it's okay to not always be working. So on Sundays, I don't do anything with TCU, not a thing. And there are some days where I put myself in a hard cutoff. I say, okay, at three o'clock or at four o'clock, I'm done for the day. I don't care if it didn't get done. I will send an email and say, hey, I need to, you know, I'll give it back to you the next day or something like that. And I had to be okay with that because as much as I love the work that we do, it will get to the point that I don't love it if I don't set those boundaries for myself. 
boundaries. Boundaries are very, very they important. They are very important. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's the theme for me this year is like setting boundaries, setting boundaries. <laughs> now, another big sort of mantra of TCU in general is taking up space. It's on your website. You have it on merchandise. So what does taking up space mean in the context of TCU? And then why do you feel it's important for your TCU, TCU members? I use take up space because I think that there have been so many times where especially Black creators, you know, Black business professionals, Black entrepreneurs, we, we make ourselves small or we feel small in 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 spaces that we're not the you know where we're we're the minority or you know our voice isn't being heard or you know we don't feel like we're getting the advantages or the opportunities that we should get and so i want to remind people that you are enough and that you have the opportunity to make your voice the prominent voice to make what you do just as big as anyone else. And so I tell Mm -hmm. people all the time, like when I was at SCAD, when I was going to school for acting, one of the things my professor used to say when we would go to auditions is that 60 seconds or 90 seconds that you have in that room, that is yours. And you need to feel the room. He would say, feel the room, which basically meant take, take up all the space. Like make your voice big so it, it goes to all four corners of the room. Make your make your character, this is your moment to shine. So fill it up, fill up the space. And I took that with me everywhere I went. And I want people to also fill up their room, fill up their communities, fill up their conference rooms when they're in there, if they have an opinion, take up your space. Like you are... Hmm allowed and you should feel empowered to do so and so it's just a reminder to to be you and to be the best you uh Mm -hmm. question you said you went to school for acting at SCAD do you still have aspirations to act in any way Uh, no so okay (laughs) (laughs) yes and no um Yes and no. I'm I'm 31 years old now, and I know that sounds. I know I'm going to say something that's going to contradict a lot of things that I've already said, but I feel like that moment has passed. I don't think that I'm going to be some you know Broadway star or star on some hit sitcom. I don't think that that's going to happen for me, and I'm okay with that. But I mean, if there's an opportunity that comes along in the future, I definitely wouldn't turn it down. But I'm not looking for that opportunity, if that makes sense. How did you transition from wanting to be an actress, a Broadway star, to being a business owner? What was that like? So I've always wanted to do both. I've always wanted to own a business. Always. When I was in elementary school, I used to get in trouble because my mother would have like hostess cakes or like, you know, you know, like zebra cakes or whatever. And we lived in Germany and, and downstairs in the basement, there was like this basement window and like kids would ride their bikes because our backyard was the playground. And so I would put a little flyer on the window and say like zebra cakes, 50 cent and Capri Sun, a dollar. Oh. <laughs> and I, I would sell her stuff that she just bought. 
money. But to make money for the family. I see. And so I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Even in high school, I would create these like singing groups and I would create these little concerts and people have to pay a dollar to come to these things. So I've always want, I've always been interested in creating business and I've always had that spirit in me. But I think when I was at SCAD, I had to have a hard truth with myself that it might not work out for you. I know that that is really, really contradicting a lot of what the message is for people, but I think it's an individual process and journey. And for myself, I had to say, you are a single mom and you have responsibilities and and this isn't working out the way that you thought it was going to work out. So you can do this for the next six, seven years and get your big break, or you can turn to another passion that you're equally as passionate about where you know that your success is a little bit more favorable. And so I had to have that hard truth with myself, which, you know, like I said, I don't regret that that for myself because I felt good in my spirit when I made that transition. And you've mentioned, you mentioned earlier that you had made other business ventures, you made other businesses. How did that experience, how did your experiences with those businesses help you on your journey with creating TCU? I think for, for one, I, I set my intention when I created TCU that I was going to go all the way. I was going to go all the way, no matter what, because I believed in it wholeheartedly. And I didn't give myself an opportunity to have a plan B. With my other businesses, I did not, I didn't take up that same drive. But what it did was those other businesses and those other ventures set me up. I was able, I was able to lean on those networks and those relationships that I had already, you know, established from, you know, previous ventures. I was able to learn what works, what doesn't work, what I don't. I think people people always want to know what they want to do next. What is the next move? But I think it's equally important to know what you don't want to do. And so for me, doing all of those businesses before, let me know that that is not what I want to do. And so I was able to find my, my, find my niche. Mm. Now with WGC, I know that my first intention for WGC is not the, the business that I'm executing now and it's shifted. How has TCU, your idea of TCU shifted from the very first conception to the place you're at? Oh, God. I was, <laughs> it's, so I used to be embarrassed by that because I would feel like, oh my gosh, people are going to think that, you know, I have no, re, you know, mm-hmm. no concept of my business or that I'm just all over the place. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, businesses change focus and everything. So when, when TCU first got started, it was supposed to be an all women's co-working space because only because I was a member of a women's all working co-working space in Minnesota. And so I felt like, oh, well, that was the first time that I saw my vision in life. You know, that was the first time that I saw something that I've had in my head for years actually put to, you know, in, in, in real work. And so I just, I, I kind of copied what they were doing, but it didn't fit for me. 
And then I went from that to just being like completely like militant, like black militant. And then (laughs) TCU and it was, that's not my personality. And it was hard to maintain. (laughs) And then, then I was like, well, let's let it be for everybody. But then I also didn't feel good about that either because I really, really, really wanted to focus my work on Black lives and Black, you know, Black entrepreneurs, Black creators, Black business professionals. And so it took me a while. It took me a while to be able to to feel comfortable in my lane. And I think that that's a journey. Like I said, in the beginning, TC was going to be this like thousand square foot little, you know, space with some couches and maybe a record player some hippie shit like people are just gonna like zone out there but then I went to Atlanta to where the gathering spot is and they have this 30,000 square foot space so then I came back home like we're gonna get a 30,000 square foot space you know and then (laughs) and then I had to settle slowly back down into what what feels authentic and good for me what do I want to create? And so that's where I'm at now. And I feel good about it. But it took a, it takes a while to, to find your groove. It's almost like when you watch a show mm-hmm. and they say the first season sucks because people have to like <laughs> find their groove. It's like that with business owners. Like you have to, you gotta, you gotta try on a bunch of shoes until you find that glass slipper. So you've mentioned earlier in the podcast how you have to build your own tribe and build your own community to help support you during this time. So how did you go about building that tribe and community for yourself? So I will say that I am fortunate to have some real ride or dies with me, like straight up and down. I got some friends that like, we don't have to talk every day, but they ride or die. And so I, my first thing that I did was I reached out to them and I, and I said, you know, you don't have to agree with this decision that I'm making with my life and in this business or whatever, but I need your support. And they were able to support me. And then the second thing that I started to do was I started to attend networking events that were specifically for like black women entrepreneurs. So I could find people who were on this journey with me. And then when I, when I found them, or if I saw them at a vendor's market, or if I saw them out, or if, or if I was just fangirling on Instagram, I would slot into their DMs like, hey, love what you're doing. Just purchased a product from you because support, it's an action word. So I would, you know, I would, if they were selling candles or if they're selling like soaps or whatever, I'm going to purchase it. And then I'm going to say like, let's meet up. Let's have a conversation. How can we support one another? What, you know, and that could be just a weekly or a monthly dinner, or that could just be sliding into each other's messages every day. Like, oh shoot, I see you girl. Great. Congratulations. I'm proud of you. And then, then I started finding mentors, people who, not necessarily what I'm doing, but people who are who are excelling in their lane. And so I had a mentor who 
is a radio personality and I reached out to her. I have, like I said, the director of the Coastal Georgia Minority Chamber reached out to her. I have, you know, professors that I reach out to and I, you know, and I, be, and I'm, I'm vulnerable with them when I'm struggling. I tell them that I'm struggling when I feel like this is the worst decision that I ever made in my life. Why am I doing this? I tell them that so they can help me, help me bear that burden. Oh, well, it's time for that good old last okay. question. <laughs> so the last question, LB, you're clearly on your way to success. You are doing your thing with TCU. You're putting in the work, you're getting the results. So Thank LB, you. tell me what is, <laughs> what, what, what is making it, making it to you? How will you know when you've made it? Who, you know, I will know that I've made it. This is good. I, I don't, oh, okay. Well, you know what? It's my answer. So whatever. I will know when I've made it, when I don't have to work this hard. Like when I can just pop up a vision and it gets done. Like that for me is how I know that I made it. There is this woman in Savannah. If you ever go to Savannah, there's this um, restaurant called Pink House. And it's really, really great food. And it's, you know, it's really pricey or whatever, but it's really great food. And the owner of the pink house is this little old lady and she don't do nothing, but everybody is so afraid when she comes in and they're like on their top game and she just comes in and she'll have lunch with her friends and she just leaves and like, she'll give, you know, like little reports like, oh, you know, you guys put too much salt on that filet or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. I was like, that's gold, sis. Like, I'm trying <laughs> to say, like, I want to be able to call, you know, I don't know. Dante, my assistant on the phone to say, look, Dante, I want to create a, you know, black round table discussion and I want to, or I want to create a house party or I want to do whatever. And then it's just done. Like that's, that to me, <laughs> like, my God, that is a dream. <laughs> All right. Well, Elby, well, this has been great. And thank you. Thank you for giving your time to us so we could just talk shop. Thank you, know, you been for fun. having me. I appreciate it. And best of luck to you. I'm so proud of you. This is awesome. Oh, this is thank awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. You are well on your oh, way. I you, that. you know, you're somebody oh. who doesn't have to worry. You're definitely, you drip success. So don't worry. Oh, not drip. Yes. Thanks. Thank you, Ellie. <laughs> All right. So keep. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners where they can find you in the TCU? Absolutely. So you can always find us on our social media at the Culturist Union on Facebook and Instagram, and then Culturist Union underscore or Culturist underscore the on Twitter. You can always find us on our website, www.theculturistunion.com. Hit us up. We're friendly. We love to hear your comments or your opinions or anything. So yeah, that's how you can find us. Alrighty, that was episode two of On Their Way, a WGC production. On Their Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The theme was composed by Baggio Alvarado, and the logo was created by Makukure. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at WithGoodCo, or tell your friends to tune in next time. Word of mouth does wonders. 
If you really liked our episode, please consider buying our merchandise at our website, wgcproductions.com. That's how we keep everything up and running. You can also find episode transcripts and show notes at wgcproductions.com. If you're a business owner like Elby, those show notes can really come in handy because we make sure to put in some resources for business owners just like you who are on their way. Okie doke. I'll talk to y'all same time next week. And until then, remember to take care of yourselves.